With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Boxing history is what we are about and so I'm here with my buddy Aris Pina, copy box operator and fight history fanatic like myself. Dude, 1990s. The 1990s is where it was at, bro. I mean, there's always fun shit to talk about the early 1990s, especially when it comes to heavyweights, bro. So we got to revisit. We have to, man. You know, um, today is actually the 31st anniversary of um, the wild war between Evander Holyfield and Burt Cooper, one of my personal favorite fights of that era. So um, figured, yeah, you know, well, no better time to talk about an anniversary than this type of show. So um, with that being said, you know, let's get to it, man. The early 90s. All right. The early now. What a time to be alive. Right, Pat? Seriously. Bright colors, wild yeah, fucking yeah. designs. Yeah. <laughs> We had overalls. We had, you know, bright color designs. Like you said, you had the high top fades. You had Reebok pumps. You had, I don't know, man. It was just a good time. And Pepsi clear. Yes, Pepsi (laughs) clear. You know, Simpsons, Arsenio Hall in living color were dominating the television stations. Uh, New Jack Swing Hour was alive and in full effect. Boys in the Hood, New Jack City. It was a good time. It It was a good time. That being said, the heavyweight division in particular was going through an odd transition from the 80s glamour to period to where it was now. Um, you know, at the end, at the tail end of the 80s, the, at the dawn of the new decade, Mike Tyson was still heavyweight king. And at that point, there was no one on the horizon that people were like thinking, okay, someone's going to knock him off his perch. There were two guys that everyone was excited for him to eventually fight, but no one thought at that point either that they would actually win. That being Evander Holyfield and George Foreman. So that's where we're going from this. All hell broke loose in 1990 at the very beginning of the decade when Buster Douglas turns the world on its head by knocking out Mike Tyson. Now the heavyweight division is kind of like, you know, in a scramble of a tailspin. You're just kind of like, okay, you know, um, what's happening here? Douglas is champion. No one actually took Douglas seriously before that in the 80s because this was a guy that quit against Tony Tucker and lost against others when he should have won. Like he was a good fighter, but no one was really sure what the hell just happened and people were still trying to adjust to that. Um, And as far as the rest of the division, you had a tail end of a lot of the 80s leftovers like Tony Tubbs, Greg Page, Michael Dokes, um, still kind of hanging around and doing their thing. Um, it would still be a year or so before others would really emerge out of the pack of the 88 Olympics like Lennox Lewis and um, Riddick Bowe, for example, even Ray Mercer to a degree, even though he was already fighting prominent guys by 1990. Um, and so that's, you know, by the end of 1990, Evander Holyfield, the former cruiserweight champion and who had been steadily climbing up the heavyweight ranks fight by fight, getting more experience, gaining more weight, taking on tougher challenges. Um, the super fight that everyone wanted was Holyfield Tyson. Obviously with Tyson being knocked out now shifted over to Buster Douglas. Um, I don't know. I guess you would call it a super fight. That's the way they definitely promoted it that night. But at the same time, you know, I think um, 
a lot of people still assume that like Holyfield would be able to come out on top and that Douglas might have been a flash in the pan. As ended up turning out to be, Douglas got flattened early on. So now all the attention turned to that as uh, by his 1991 approach. Now the attention was turning to the potential fight between Holyfield and Mike Tyson. Um, George Foreman, who's come back at that point, a lot of people didn't take seriously as a joke, finally came through. And by 1991, he built himself up to a fight with Holyfield. Ended up being surprisingly competitive and a lot of fun in a fight that a lot of people thought Holyfield would just blow him out in. So there was that. That actually, at that point, Holyfield's struggling, well, you know, to a degree, certain parts of the fight with Foreman and getting hit around a lot didn't help his cause when people were thinking about a potential super fight with Tyson. You know, so that was the fight that everyone was drooling on. Tyson at this point now had made, you know, made his comeback in 90. He had knocked out Henry Tillman. He had blown away Alex Stewart. And he was in the midst of... um back-to-back brutal fights with Razor Ruddick, another brutal puncher of the, of the era. So that's where everyone was, was building themselves to right now. You know, the other contenders at that point, no one was clamoring for. Larry Holmes had just started a very odd comeback in 1991 at that point, um, jumping off of cars and fighting in such exotic locations as Honolulu, Hawaii and such. So he wasn't at that point. By 92, he'd be in the heavyweight pitcher again, surprisingly, but he wasn't a factor. So all roads ahead was Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. And by November, it looked like this fight was finally going to happen. You know what I mean? Like it was going back and forth. It was negotiations, all this other stuff. Tyson at this point had moved on to Showtime. Um, Holyfield, who originally was at Showtime for a number of fights, looked like he's, you know, transitioned to HBO. Remember the TVKO was the one that, um, that televised the Foreman fight in the first major pay-per-view. So it there was back and forth there was other stuff yada 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 but eventually the fight was finally going to be made mike tyson evander holyfield it was all signed and set 1991 we're going to get it done boxing being boxing of course the fight falls apart yeah dude it was it seemed destined to to be mike tyson and evander holyfield seemed destined to meet at some point beyond just being popular in the press and the fight and whatnot like you know there's the old story that holyfield told about what was it back in 83 or 84 up in the lead up to the Olympics when supposedly I think it was what over a bed or something like that like Tyson wanted a bed and Holyfield was like fuck that fuck away that's my bed bitch or you know something like that and Tyson was like all right and ever since then Holyfield was like that dude's mine who knows if that's actually true it would be a a great story if it really were true but Tyson was a bully back then definitely I mean, I would, yeah, I, I, it sounds believable, you know, it sounds totally believable as a story, but, uh, supposedly that's where kind of like the history between them or whatever the destiny begins or whatever. But that being said, here we are several years later where Evander Holyfield has been built up through the cruiserweight division. Like you said, Mike Tyson, uh, has gone through his various issues, got knocked off as heavyweight champion, but it seemed as though that was pretty fluky. A lot of people didn't believe that a lot of people were still pretty high on Tyson. Um, You know, he was still incredibly popular. Buster Douglas was, yeah, like you said, a lot of people just didn't believe in him a lot. And it's not like it was a mystery what was happening after he won the heavyweight championship either. He got big. People knew he got big. People knew he wasn't training. So it's, it's a tale as old as time. You know, you hit it big and just kind of slide down because you aren't fucking training. $4 million payday, bro. You know, it's something that the average person just can't really, you know, that's why when people win the lottery, average people win the lottery, their lives are like ruined because it's like you, the average person does not know what to do with a massive chunk of money and or fame. 
And so just same way, Buster Douglas just kind of shat the bed and Amanda Holyfield was definitely in the position to take over and did. The problem was that as rowdy as Mike Tyson's life was and as many legal things as were going on in his life, uh, you know, he was getting into various issues for several years even, but then of course uh, wound up being accused of sexual assault and rape. Um, but then, you know, this, all of these things together, and then also reports of him looking shitty in the gym and getting beaten up and sparring and stuff like that, you know, those things pretty much added up over time and then wound up to reports of him being injured and pulling out of the scheduled Holyfield fight. And so if you go look on eBay, you go look on places like that, you'll see the coveted, you know, the merchandise from that first canceled fight. Tons of them because that was that was the fight that was the shit huge... was printed out, bro. Like there was because uh, you'll you'll find it. There's that fa- famous um. There's that famous cover of a uh, ring magazine. You know which one I'm talking about? The cartoon yep. with the giant heads or whatever and the muscled out bodies. And they were talking about you know um predicting who's gonna win the fight and stuff like that. And like you said, a lot of people at this point, I think public perception was still that people still thought my, you know Mike Tyson held this held the, the public and you know just everyone's fascinated with him still just, does you know still, like of, you know also because of his outside the ring antics but no one had seen a style like that in over 60 years since the days of jack dempsey you know like he was just a rampaging marauder who just terrorized the whole division everybody was freaked out by fighting him and holyfield even though after he moved up from cruiserweight holyfield was the best cruiserweight at that point anyone had ever seen and then when he moves up from there Sure, he was winning his fights at heavyweight, but he wasn't like looking like an overwhelming force. You know, he beat up uh, guys who were already way past it, like um, James Quick Tillis and then Pinkle and Thomas. But I mean, he didn't blow them out. Like he went rounds with them before he eventually stopped them. You know, and then he had the out and out war with Michael Dokes, which is one of the best fights you'll ever see at heavyweight. But think about this too Dokes, who trained his ass off to his credit and got himself into the best shape of his career was still a spent shell of himself for a guy who was completely into the excess of cocaine in other parts of the 80s. So, and Holyfield went life and death with him. And then he knocks out Seamus McDonough, who was just, you know, not even a fringe contender or nothing. And that was the one fight that Holyfield really, like, knocked the shit out of somebody. Um, same thing with um, Adelson Rodriguez, but he was also taking hands in that fight, too. So it's like, you know, you watch that, and then he knocks out Douglas. Like you said, Douglas was obese by that point, too. So everyone that was like, blah. And then he gets knocked around by Foreman a little bit, even though he won a comfortable decision. And you think to yourself, okay, if Holyfield is like, you know, having uneasy performances a little bit here and there, you don't think he's still a full-fledged heavyweight. Tyson is still going to come back and do his thing. So it was, it was a lot of fascination there. And like you said, the, the merchandise was immense because you can find tons of it out there still. They still sell the T-shirts. You can find the hats, posters, for whatever you need, it was made. Like, this was massive. And for this fight to fall apart... Um, originally because i think tyson you know claimed the injured hand or thumb or whatever it was was a big letdown but that being said it was rescheduled again yeah i mean there was there was a big it was a big to do like even just going back and looking for newspaper stuff about it there's a shitload because a lot of people were it was a highly anticipated fight um so the fact that it fell through and the fact that it just didn't wind up coming through was a big disappointment like you said and also there were a lot of there were a lot of question marks 
X factors about Evander Holyfield be and and a lot of kind of variables there in some of these fights too because you look at Evander Holyfield he's weighing at about two you know two o five two ten and on top of that they were saying oh well, you know he's coming in and he's like fully clothed so he's probably closer like you know just over two hundred and you know he he's not a big guy and of course now you look at him and he's like six two six two and a half he's a good sized dude but um regardless you know there was a lot of x factors because you're looking at his opponents and a a couple of them were outweighing him by like you know 30 40 almost 50 pounds and so it's you don't know what that means like yeah he's getting kind of beaten up a little bit by george foreman but george foreman's a fucking monster puncher and like you know it doesn't take too many punches but he took the punches he was all right but that being said you know that was kind of like the ultimate question after all of these fights where he wasn't looking stellar uh was all right okay but what happens if tyson hits him what happens when they're in there and tyson gets these opportunities dude tyson's gonna fucking kill him a lot of people thought that so that was kind of the setup here for almost everything right or wrong um but you know burt cooper on the other hand you know (laughs) burt cooper is just a whole other story man and i think that that's kind of the contrast here too and also where they were burt cooper and his team played up the, where he felt as though, you know, he he'd never got the opportunities like Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield came out of the Olympics. He was part of this highly decorated 1984 team. And even though he didn't win gold at the 84 Olympics, many people felt he should have. And he got fucked over against, uh, what's his name, Kevin Barry, you know, that it was a screwy result, et cetera. So often when you see the photos of the, the 1984 squad together, even though he didn't win gold he's still with the other fighters who did win gold etc and so i think that he you know he signed a big contract with main events just like a number of those fighters and according to cooper according to his team that was where he he wasn't the same you know he had to come up the hard way he got knocked around and blah 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 so like i said though it's his background it's a bit different totally and for him to get this shot, it didn't even come easy either because he only ended up getting it on a week's notice, you know? But, um, so yeah, to, to backtrack with Cooper, how he got his start was, um, at first off, when he when he turned pro, <clears throat> he originally reached out to, uh, to Joe Frazier's camp. He was a big fan of Frazier, and that was one of his inspirations. And I think he was already an amateur at this point, too, but he reached out to Frazier's camp, and he was like, you know, showed I wanted to go there, I wanted to train, work out. So they allowed him to go and start sparring there. And eventually he showed enough promise and like started beating up the fellow uh, fighters at Frazier's gym that, you know, they took notice of him. And what also helped his cause too, is that he kind of patted himself off of Frazier a little bit, you know, Frazier in his style. Like Burke Cooper wasn't a tall guy. He was short, he was stocky like Frazier. Um, he, he was a come forward guy who would just put immense pressure on you like Frazier. And he had tremendous power, particularly in his left hook like Frazier. So obviously Frazier would fall in love with a fighter like that, as opposed to like a kid, his son Marvis, who he completely molded into his own, you know, clone, which would disastrous results. At least with Cooper, Cooper is built for this type of style. Cooper is built for that type of warfare. Cooper has the same stocky build and he knocked the shit out of somebody like Joe. So um, they kind of groomed him and made him like an unofficial member of, uh, member of the Frazier family, so to speak. Um, yeah. Well, they like, they labeled him like a nephew or something, didn't they? <clears throat> yeah he or like he, kind of they didn't know obviously they knew he wasn't related but they just knew that was like joe frazier's dad. yeah well he uh so marvis and rodney rodney frazier uh 
Marvis's cousin, they both won the Pennsylvania State Golden Gloves. And apparently Bert was at least acquaintances and then became friends with both Marvis and Rodney. And eventually, you know, went down to the gym with them or started hanging around at the gym. And then blah, blah, blah. And I guess one thing led to another and he started working out at the gym and looked pretty good. And then being kind of got taken in more or less by Joe Frazier and their family is kind of a Frazier did that with a number of fighters. It wasn't Burt Cooper wasn't the only fighter he did that to. But like you said, I think that because Burt Cooper kind of had a similar like he wasn't very tall for a heavyweight. He had a you know stocky build. Um, he he fought, I guess, just kind of naturally in a similar way coming forward, you know, burrowing in and just kind of throwing hooks and shit like that. Frazier seemed to really take to him and, ex- and accept him into the family and whatnot. And so, yeah, basically he became part of their family and was like a cousin or a nephew or something. Yeah. And early on, you know, he was kind of floating in between cruiserweight and heavyweight. Mm -hmm. Uh, His career really started to take off after a loss. Coincidentally, he, um, he loses to Reggie Gross, um, most famous for fighting a wild one rounder on Mike Tyson on the, uh, what was it? Camacho, um, Edward Rosario (laughs) where like, Tyson does all the duck, 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 duck. Remember, like a wild combination just comes up and bow, and Gross goes flat. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it goes like 12 feet. Reggie Gross would probably be a good subject for one of our true crime series because he had a pretty dark uh, um, future ahead of him after that. I don't really know that much about it, so I'll have to look into that. But yeah, really but like, uh... so Cooper, though, his career really took shape. I mean, his first big win was against, uh, we just mentioned the 84 Olympic team. Um, Henry Tillman, who was the gold medalist of uh, of that team, one of the gold medal members of that team, wasn't he? Yeah, he beat Willie DeWitt in the finals. Well, and actually, yeah, we'll see a couple of those names again. Henry Tillman was the one who famously defeated Mike Tyson and killed his hopes for getting in getting to the nineteen eighty four Olympics because he was a big favorite. To, you know, uh, Mike Tyson was huge from the time he was like thirteen or fourteen years old or whatever it was. Yeah, and uh, but then. <clears throat> Willie DeWitt also massive amateur success, et cetera, and also was uh, a rising star when he was a, a, a young pro too. But yeah. Um, Cooper was doing his thing from 86 to the beginning of 87 because he beats Tillman, he beats Tyrone Booz, uh, and then he has a couple more wins when he fights DeWitt on, um, on, Ash, on one of those ABC, NBC, one of those channels. And DeWitt... Again, he lost controversially to Tillman in the Olympics, but he was undefeated at this point. This fight was held in Canada, and DeWitt was like a national treasure. You know what I mean? What ended up transpiring was a fight so brutal and so vicious that it could have had a label of TVMA on it. Like, it was really bad. Cooper ravaged him badly. And, you know, you see the end of the fight where DeWitt is just a bloody mess. His nose is gushing, his face is beat up, and Cooper is just like a shark that smells blood just on his prey there. and, blah, 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 blah. and it's, You know, looking like a mini Mike Tyson or a mini Joe Frazier, kind of in the same mold. Not the same, you know, uh, you can tell he's not at that quite at that level, but just a guy with that raw, pure, just aggression and strength and everything. That's a diamond in the rough. And after he knocks him out, you know, and DeWitt gets splattered right there and um, you bring the yellow tape out for him, fucking... You see Frazier, like you mentioned, you see um, uh, Marvis Frazier, I think, and you see, uh, what was the other one? Rodney. Rodney. Yeah. 
into the ring with Joe and they're just like embracing him and they're so hyped and they're all just celebrating and kissing him and because they know this is like their guy right here. Like we got ourselves a future champion, they thought. But you know what, man? That was like the height of Cooper's fame in terms of like really on his uptake because that's when his career started taking a sharp downturn. Yeah, it's it, that's actually exactly uh, where, I mean, I'm sure that he had been doing drugs or fucked around or whatever before then. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a big turning point. So we brought up Mike Tyson. He obviously figures into the story as a big gravitational force overall. But because he was so in demand and whatever, um, what what would happen is that Burt Cooper would get hired by opponents of Mike Tyson to emulate his style and sparring. And so he was he was a sparring partner. And mm-hmm. we know as boxing fans, what can happen to fighters who are kind of like sparring partners, you know, that in and of itself is a job. You can get paid if you're a good sparring partner. And if you're able to do it, some camps will be paying your ass like, you know, five, six, seven, eight grand a week, or, or uh, I'm sorry, a month a week. Fuck. What am I talking? That's like a massive millionaire. No, like, a, like a month, you know, and so you can make some pretty decent money. Especially as... against vicious fire partners who are known to take their, take like, you know, their aggression out on poor guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you can make money. And so point being Burt Cooper was a paid sparring partner for a while, but what wound up happening was the win over Willie DeWitt. He said that he partied like ridiculous. It was in uh, Saskatchewan, is in Canada, yep. and Willie DeWitt undefeated. Burt Cooper fucking brutalizes him, and I think that Willie DeWitt was probably a pretty big favorite over him. And he uh, and he also Burt Cooper made a pretty decent amount of money, made a pretty good payday for this. Went partied. And partied to the point where he said basically that uh, his partying Mm -hmm. rolled into his next fight for the most part. And then that was his, that was the reason why he lost to Carl the Truth Williams in his next fight, which was a couple months later. And I mean, basically, I don't know. It makes sense because we already know that he was heavy into cocaine and alcohol by this point. So if he really had like a you know weeks or months months long bender, yeah, yeah, that would probably affect your performance in the ring. And Cooper wasn't shy to talk about his outside the ring antics too when it came to his fights. You know what I mean? Um, if you look at his record, he loses to Carl Williams, scores a couple of more wins, loses to Bigfoot Martin, who was a spoiler of the era but a fight that Cooper probably shouldn't have lost. Yeah, generally speaking, if you're, like, good, you should you should beat Bigfoot Martin. Yeah. With all due respect, because he fought fucking everybody, but still. <laughs> and rest in peace, because he just passed away recently. Yeah. Yeah, like, if you're going anywhere in the division, or if you're just, like, going around, like, you, like Bigfoot Martin will probably be at the, will probably go the, the distance with you, but you probably shouldn't. Exactly. Win, like, exactly. You against him, you know? Yeah, if he's beating you, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and then you know he goes again. He goes back and forth by the by the end of the late '80s. Now he fights Nate Miller, um, a future cruiserweight titleist himself. Gets stopped in that one, and that's when he's like really hitting the skids. He's at now um, by the late '80s. He's gone from Frazier's camp. They already banished him, and like realized, you know, excuse me, he was a lost cause. Go ahead. He said that in that loss to Nate Miller, so like it was like slightly controversial because in a, in a bunch of these losses, he like quit in the corner, and that was yeah. the that was his like you know calling card, his mo or whatever, to the point where P, uh, 
promoters, I guess, were concerned. Like, are you going to fucking quit? Like, are you going to give an, a, a full effort this time? You know, they would ask him that type of shit. But apparently, he said during Nate Miller, he bit off a chunk of his tongue. And that's why he and that's why he didn't come out of his fucking corners because that like he like bit off a portion of his tongue, according to him. So I mean that would be bad. So I dude, tongue see. injuries are the absolute worst. My God, man! I'm like, dude, I, I don't know if it's true, but that's what inner, he said. Inner that lip injuries, like inner lip injuries, like Corrales. When oh, got yeah, that was that was bad. bad. Or remember, remember Barrios against yes. Juarez. Oh my God! Yeah, Ugh. dude, his and entire was lip like, was coming off, and it was just hanging there, and, like, and he was just sitting there, like he was just talking. I was like, ah. So yeah, if that's true, then that would be bad. That would be bad. You could see, you could see a guy quitting for that. Absolutely. I mean, it didn't. But then there's the Foreman fight. That's what I was about to say. The Foreman. <laughs> and the backstory and the excuse that Cooper used for that one is epic. Um, epic, wild, you know, unbelievable, hilarious. You blame the old mongoose too. <laughs> so, there's so many different words you can use about. It. Anyways, um. To, to kind of sum it up, Cooper, well, first off, he ends up being, uh, he quits in two rounds against Foreman and barely puts up an absolute effort. Like, it's bad. Cooper gets suspended. I think they tried to, and like... Foreman didn't even, like, look, like, good or anything, you know? It oh, was... this is 1989. Yeah. Foreman by 1989, especially June of 89, no one was still taking his, like, his comeback. Yeah, he's circuit. huffing and puffing, and people were like, mm. And clearly, everybody that he was fighting was just, like, hand-picked opponents that didn't have a shot in hell of beating him, you know? Um, whether it was yeah, just... I'm, I mean... We can thank Elvis Parker for that too. We'll, we'll talk was, about yeah. that fool in a moment. But um, yeah, like with Foreman's early opponents, whether they were guys who were just no hopers who were going to get blasted out, or they were recognizable names, but recognizable names that fucking like heavyweight, like Dwight Cowie or JB Williamson. You know, that's what Foreman was feasting on. So by the time he gets to Cooper in 1989, no one was still taking Foreman seriously. That being said. Cooper looked like shit. Like you can see, he was like hungover on doing something bad. He barely puts up an effort. Foreman kind of clubs him around a little bit. You know, it's going through the motions, and Cooper quits after two rounds. Um, the commission wanted to uphold Cooper's purse because they were just like that was a non-effort. You barely yeah, like that's the type of shit you see in like the 1930s too. Yeah. So you don't even see that shit very often now. Like, they were just really like. The only time you get your purse up hell now is like you do something really off off out the box that like try to choke Jane eighty and throw a stool at him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um so after that, Cooper came up with this wild excuse and said that he blamed the promoters actually for, for, for drugging him. He said that it wasn't just one, but there was twin blonde haired beautiful women that found him at the bar or somewhere and kind of like and found and convince him to go back to the hotel room with them. And they rented out a room where for about 48 hours, right? He said two or three days straight. Yeah, he said they, they kept did, him up for three days straight. Yeah, they kept him up for three days straight. Well, all they did was drink Crown Royal and do a ton of cocaine. <laughs> and just a wild bender and all kinds of, you know, menage a trois and whatever else you can think of. Where can I sign up to fight George Foreman? Yes, so Cooper <laughs> claims after a 72-hour bender with, the, with the, these twin blonde bombshells that he went in there and go fight Foreman. <laughs> and that's how he, that's how he went in there. So this is where Coop, Bert Cooper was at the turn of the nineties. I'm trying to fight George Foreman. What's up, dude? <laughs> Fucking hilarious. I mean, yeah, dude. And, and on top of that, I mean, like his story kind of like had a couple of different details uh, here and there too. And he wound up saying this like a few years later, or like, and he like added to it. 
over the years too, where a couple of years later, he wound up saying to a dude from like, uh, I don't want to say like the Miami news or Miami Herald. He said something to the effect of that. He came to believe actually that, yeah, it totally was twins and they yes. kept him up and they drugged him. But actually he now believed that it was Archie Moore who hired them. And that it, it yeah, was I never Archie. Even heard that he said Archie Moore did it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying. He blamed the old mongoose. He fucking later on said that he believed it was Foreman's trainer at the time, Archie Moore, who hired these women to keep him up for three. T- as if they, as if that's the only way Foreman could beat him, you know. But yeah. like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Good, yeah, good shit. But in any case, you know. He looked like hell, dude. He looked like shit, and it just once again was... wasn't shit right at that at that point, man. He was, you know, going through it. He was burning the edge at both bridges uh, on on both sides at that point. Definitely, yeah, dude. He he looked like hell. He didn't look good, and on top of that, he was really damaging his reputation. Because look, dude, you can be a journeyman. We yeah. just talked about Everett Martin. Uh, if you can go rounds and you're reliable. There's a need for that in boxing in every division and especially in the heavyweight division. And like, you know, the world needs ditch diggers, as they say, you know, you, there's a role for everybody to play or whatever, but if you can't even de- be dependable in terms of going rounds, like you, we have no fucking clue. Are you going to show up to go 10 or after a round or two, or are you just going to be like, fuck this? You're going to be on like a persona non grata list, dude. You know, promoters aren't going to want to deal with you. You're going to damage your reputation. And so what happens in boxing when you damage your reputation, you wind up at Rick Elvis Parker, bro. That's what fucking happens. No, I mean, look, uh, we, we did an entire episode all, if I can remember and figure out how pretty sure I remember, I'll put a link up on the episode, uh, to that Elvis Parker episode that we did. It's basically a, a somewhat biographical life story of the guy. Think of if Don King were a hillbilly ass toupee wearing white dude who also partied with his fighters. That's, that's Rick Parker basically. And so Rick Parker popped up in Florida as a promoter, uh, promoting these kind of usually second rate and third rate shows. And he also got involved, like his specialty basically was getting involved when fighters were making a comeback when like George Foreman in particular, he really helped make his name with George Foreman when George Foreman was making a comeback and a lot of people were skeptical and a lot of promoters didn't want to touch it uh, because they were like, ah, you know, he might've been a former heavyweight champion, but the guy's been out 10 years, you know, it, that's like, doesn't happen. Um, Elvis Parker was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that shit. I'll promote some shows in Florida. Let's do that shit or just outside of Florida or whatever. And so that's what he did. George Foreman hooked up with him. I'm not 100% sure how Cooper hooked up with Parker, but I would imagine that there was some sort of, you know, exchange here that when Foreman fought Cooper, you know, they probably met and blah, blah, blah. And well, that's, some, yeah, I think that's something around that matter because um, not to cut you. Off, yeah, but no, I, go I, for I, it. I know that Aram is the one that got Parker is the one that got Parker out of the Foreman business. And Aram jumped in there and was like, hey, you know, I'm actually substantial and like real. And Foreman was like, yeah, fuck this, you know, sideshow, whatever. And then started doing his thing. Parker, obviously. Yeah, there were a couple like high school gym type places that Foreman yeah. was fighting it for a moment there. Foreman's early, early comebacks were just in some wild outfits. Yeah, a couple of them were, they were like attended by like 800 people and shit. Totally. Very different, different times. And, um, but by the time Parker got back with 
with um Burt Cooper. I mean, unfortunately, they probably would be like perfect for each other considering their backgrounds and the lifestyles that they were living and everything. But Cooper did by the by the turn of the new decade, um, seemed like he actually started building himself up a little bit, you know what I mean? Because couldn't get excuse me, couldn't get any lower than where he was at. And at the end of 1989, after getting knocked out by um, and quitting against George Foreman. So he comes back, um, scores two, you know, scores a nothing victory. And then by 1990, in his first fight, fights uh, Orlin Norris. And Orlin Norris, you know, better known as Terry Norris's brother, um, former cruiserweight champion for a long while, and probably most known by casual fans as the guy that getting his knee dislocated against Mike Tyson after getting punched after the bell. <laughs> during Tyson's run of like just ridiculous <laughs> yeah that was just like every time he was in the news or fighting or something there was something there was he was trying to break somebody's arm or was trying to do something well like I mean think about it Tyson bites Holyfield's ear he goes off for a while goes to WWE does some other shit comes back tries to break Franz Botha's arm because he was getting whooped lands that lucky punch knocks out Botha uh, I don't know if the Norris fight was immediately after that or not, but if it was, that one was hokey too because he hits Norris clearly after yeah. that. Norris drops his knees gone. He's like, what a strange time. But anyways, Savarese, like attack Savarese and like yeah. Yeah, after the bell for like 10 seconds and people are like, whoa, a documentary whoa. on early 2000s Mike Tyson one day. Definitely. Jesus. Um, but by 1990, Orland Norris was still a heavyweight and this was years before all this other shit. So he's still a heavyweight that his lone loss at that point, um, I think, was against Tony Tucker or so. But he was a guy that was clearly a contender. He was the NABF champion when it meant something. And Cooper brutalized him and stopped him in a, you know, in a competitive fight. So like that was a big win for him and something that was going to get him at least more recognizable fights on, you know, going forward. And that's what he did because his very next fight, and I'll let you take this one over because we were just talking about it, is against another former '88 Olympian or Olympian himself, Ray Mercer. Yeah, you know, it was like uh, actually Mercer had already by this time. So he was uh, the captain, I believe, of the boxing team in 1988, I want to say. I believe he was, yes. Uh, in any case, he he was a former uh, like sergeant in the army. Uh, he, he boxed for the army. You know, he was a dude who had a fucking piston jab. You better not stand in the way of his right hand either. And he was a very good fighter. He was just... I don't know if it was a discipline issue or what, but he was inconsistent and he could just could not be depended on in a lot of close fights. Uh, but in any case, even by this time, by 1990, he was also kind of in the mix for being potentially an opponent for Mike Tyson. And I think that they probably thought better of that at that point, that it was just, you know, that was not the kind of fight that they could risk for Tyson. But uh, even so, Mercer was already in the mix. He was like 14 and 0, 15 and 0. Um, and I think that they were thinking, all right, well, let's get this, get past somebody like Burt Cooper, who's already quit against X, Y, and Z fighter. So let's, let's get this guy out of the way and kind of move on. And that's like really not what happened at all. And that's kind of the, the magic of Burt Cooper, dude. You don't know fucking which Burt Cooper is going to show up sometimes. And if you were really unlucky, you being the fucking fighter, you got the Burt Cooper who showed up, yeah, and wailed a fucking tune on your ass, dude. You got the Burt Cooper who came up and was like, fuck this. So, and that's that's unfortunately for Ray Mercer, the Burt Cooper that he got, dude. Uh, it was a really underrated, we were talking about that a minute ago before we started recording, underrated 
early nineties fight that a lot of people don't really talk about anymore. Uh, pretty much a, just a slug fest and yeah, dude, it, Burt Cooper kind of, despite a loss really in a time of need elevated his, his name against Ray Mercer. He did, you know, um, Ray Mercer will never be, um, mistaken for Floyd Mayweather when it comes to defense. So that fight was awesome. Mercer was disfigured afterwards with a gnarly jaw and just, he's lucky he came away from that fight with a win. Like it was, it was a tough fight, but like, it was just a grueling, grueling thing. But Burt Cooper on brand for how he was his very next fight, he gets blown out by Riddick Bowe. So it's kind of like, again, you know, he put on a really impressive performance and then his very next performance, he gets knocked silly. But, you know, I you got to say also, too, that by the early 90s, Bo was really starting to emerge. This was before he became really sloppy and unmotivated and, um, you know, the, the type of Bo that we got used to in the mid-90s. By the 1990, 91, um, up until his win against Evander Holyfield for the title, Bo was steadily getting better, especially when he got hooked up with Eddie Futch. So it is what it is. I mean, a lot of guys were getting blown out by Bo. But... To Mercer's, excuse me, to um to Cooper's credit, after getting blown out like that, and usually he would kind of revert back to form and start, you know, losing or getting inconsistent. Nah, he went back on another winning streak. Like he didn't let this just divert him. Um, a few names on his record, and then by the time he gets to the um, October of '91, he fights Joe Hip, and Joe Hip was a popular heavyweight back then. You know, a guy that like a Native American fighter who had a good following. Um. With a, with a lot of fan followings and he was a fun fighter to watch too like he wasn't you know body beautiful kind of like roly-poly a little bit and his face swelled up easily but he was a tough dude he was a slugger he hit hard and he made for fun fights of the era including this one where he got busted up and and um a hell of a fun fight with tommy morrison where he broke morrison's jaw but cooper beat up beat up hip stopped him you know brutalized him and ends up uh, stopping him so cooper was on a roll at that point that being said, he was not expecting to get a heavyweight title shot next. <laughs> no, not at all. And I mean, when you, it's not that Joe Hip, like Joe Hip's the most recognizable of the of the four names that he got. So I'm not going to go and, you know, lay the hyperbole on thick and say, oh, it was a great win streak. It was a good win streak for Cooper because mm -hmm. he couldn't string together a whole lot of wins. So stringing together four wins and three of them like being against fighters who'd only lost once or whatever, you know, were still kind of among the contenders or something exactly. for him. That's pretty good. Um, but I mean, it just so happened that he was in that position too. Cause if he were not in that position, he probably would not have gotten that call with all of the turmoil and all of the shit happening with Tyson, with all of the shit, you know, um, Holyfield was supposed to fight, who was it? Francesco Damiani. I was going to say, yeah. And yeah. so like, you know, there was this rotating cast of characters, you know, Holyfield was preparing for a shorter, stockier guy in Tyson. And then Damiani was a totally different style, completely different style, you know, a, not going to engage nearly as much lengthier, going to try to keep away jab, etc. And then last minute, week away has to again prepare for this style that's similar to Mike Tyson and uh you know basically you you can't just put it all on one guy they both got the fight on a week's notice you know on you know the the flip side of it is that Burt Cooper had to fight Evander Holyfield on a week's notice you know that's fucking that's fucking pretty crazy too so either way supposedly Burt Cooper was hanging out with his dog he said 
and he got a phone call from Elvis Parker that he was going to be offered a fight with Vander Holyfield and somehow avoided going on a bender and just, <laughs> you know, yeah. just said, fuck it, you know, was, was prepared actually f- for a week's notice. You know, we got a really, really good fight. I knew it was a good fight, but then watching it again, I was like, man, I, f- I forgot how fucking good this was. Well, it's because like you said, you know, originally Damiani was going to be the opponent and that was not going to be a good fight. Like Holyfield at that point already had to take a pay cut, massive pay cut from what he was going to make against Tyson because no way they were going to pay him to fight a, a replacement, what they were going to pay him to fight Tyson. So that um, after that, Holyfield said, okay, if that's the case, then he requested instead of having holding the fight in Vegas, can I, you know, at least do like a hometown thing for my fans. And so they said, fine, we'll do that. You know what I mean? So that's how it was laid out. Damiani injured his foot or he claimed he did something, whatever it was. Um, apparently his wife was actually mad and was like yelling at him to try to take the fight too, but he didn't want to, you know, didn't want to deal with it. So he'd, he'd go on to um, be best known for getting his nose split in two by Ray Mercer by a single uppercut. Oh, um, dude. Yeah. That's, that's on YouTube. Yes. Brutal. And it was a fight that Damiani was whooping Mercer in too, like easily. It wasn't really wasn't really close until Mercer landed that single shot, and then you know. But back to this fight, like you said, Cooper gets the call now, you know, and it's obviously a better style matchup. And Cooper, you know, is on the momentum of a four fight win streak, so he's like, and he's motivated. He's like, holy shit, I'm getting a heavyweight title fight out of the blue. So you still think though that like Holyfield's a massive favorite. It's going to be an easy blowout for him because this is a guy that's like, all right, this is just him going home to his hometown fans to give them like a thank you really quick before he goes back and, you know, fights marquee names again. But um, like you said earlier, you never knew what, what, uh, what type of Cooper you're going to get. And it's unfortunate for the opponent if the Cooper that's actually motivated and wants to try to win shows up because you're going to be in a hell for a, uh, for a hell of a night. So the beginning of the fight, you know, like you said, Parker is there, all the entourage and everything like that. It's just a weird Motley crew. And yeah, dude, it's a really, really is. strange <laughs> cast of characters, dude. And um, they just look out of place. Like they just don't look like they're supposed to be involved in a, <laughs> anywhere near a heavyweight title fight. But here we are. And early on, it looks like it's going to follow the script, right? First round, Holyfield's bouncing on his toes. He's, you know, he was a product of George Benton back then, man. He's looking beautiful. He's throwing combinations. And Cooper was, for a guy who, even though he looked like he was in a little bit of shape, he was still just taking a fight against the heavyweight champion on a fucking week's notice. And it looked like it showed. You know, he was throwing punches but missing wildly, trying to engage but just not having success. And Holyfield is jabbing and landing most of the shots. Cooper had a weird crab-like defense that was like half Ken Norton, half George Foreman, but he wasn't good at it. Yeah, he wasn't good at it the way those two were. You know, Archie Moore, like that thing. Like, he took... Tons of shots to the body, and it was easy to rip him up with uppercuts. But so when he tried doing the crab thing early, late in round one, Holyfield came in, boom, and I think it was a hook to the body, right? You see him, and Cooper just doubles over and dropped in a heap. And you're like, oh, well, all right, that's, you know, only a matter of time now. But Cooper, to his credit, got up. And now, you know, you kind of surprised, like, all right, well, he looks like he's going to try to fight back now, and then he did. Because the minute Holyfield tried to go in, then Cooper started lashing back with some vicious shots. And I think at the end of the round, actually landed one or two of them that got Holyfield's attention. Like, oh, okay, you know, I got to take my time here. So, yeah, dude, it's uh, 
they mention on the broadcast that the last big heavyweight fight in Atlanta was in 1970, Muhammad Ali versus Jerry Corey, the first one. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can't even think before then when when the last heavyweight title fight in Atlanta would have been. I mean, I'd have to look. I have no fucking clue. Uh, off the top of my head, no way. But point being that that's significant because Holyfield is from Atlanta and is fighting in front of his hometown and whatnot. And so that's kind of a big deal because he took the fight from a Vegas or an Atlantic city or wherever, where a lot of the fights at this time are being held and they're fighting in Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> whether or not that had anything to do with this, I have absolutely no idea, but regardless Cooper. Yeah, dude, he looked pretty unsteady early on. He looked like he was in the opening moments. Like he's falling all over the place. You know, it looked like he was going to get knocked down or something. He was like, just caught up in the moment. He still seemed like he was like trying to like settle himself, you know? Yeah, I guess he was just worked up or something, but yeah, he, he ate a massive body shot. That was a nasty body shot, especially for a heavyweight. You don't see, you don't see a lot of heavyweights these days, generally speaking are as big body punchers. They just aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I get it. You're risking a lot if you're reaching out to the body, but Holyfield was absolutely fucking killer to the body uh, in in chunks of this fight. And that's what he got Cooper down on, on in that opening round. But Burt Cooper bounced up, dude. And then for the last, like, maybe minute of that first round, Cooper had Holyfield, like, he was pushing him back. He was making the fight, like, he was making him fight. And so, yeah, Holyfield clearly took the round, almost certainly a 10-8. But... Cooper, obviously, by the end of the round also was kind of letting him know, like, all right, dude, you know, I am i didn't come to lay down, though. Like, I'm still here. Exactly. I'm fighting back. And so it started becoming, like, a slight war that Holyfield was still clearly ahead in. But, I mean, like, second round, Cooper, you see, he was warming up. That's the thing. That's dangerous. When Cooper starts warming up and starts feeling himself and starts, you know, being able to take the punches better and stuff like that, it's, it's dangerous. Like, you still should be able to beat him. But the dude has that fucking power. And he throws from awkward angles sometimes, too. And he'll throw with you. That's the most dangerous thing about sluggers is a guy that ha- that will throw with you and is accurate with his shots. Like, it, you know, because that's when you can get hit with some shit you're not expecting. So I think it would be like kind of like Andy Ruiz with Joshua. Remember when Joshua went in in their first fight to wade in? And then Ruiz hits him with that weird kind of like awkward hook. But like it landed right there on the temple. And then you just went... Because you're trying to exchange with a dude who's gonna who can exchange back with you, like that's what he wants. So, um, what's his name? Um, Gil Clancy was the announcer that night. I guess Foreman couldn't be there for whatever reason. So, Clancy was the announcer, and if you remember, Pat, um, Clancy kept on saying Holyfield has to be careful. Cooper is getting closer and closer with these punches, like he's gonna land something pretty soon. Like he's doing all these exchanges, like he can't exchange with a guy like Cooper because Cooper is dangerous, and then. He said it again, like he was like, you know, Cooper keeps on, he was like, Cooper's throwing an overhand right that's landing and Holyfield needs to be careful with these exchanges. And as he says it the last time, again, I think it was around three, this happens, Holyfield gets him on there and Cooper throws that overhand right. And that's when all hell break, like, you know, fucking, it, it was something that no one expected. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, Holyfield's legs turned to um, um, Linguini really quick, right? You just see him. Like, you know, he just took a, a few shots and he has no idea what's going on. His head is spinning in there and everything like that. Probably feels like our Blakey solo in his head. He has no idea what just happened to him. He's like still kind of functioning, but like the, you know, the, um, he's short circuited clearly. Cooper realizes he hurt him quickly and Lampley starts losing it. Holy feel that travel. Holy feel hurt. And then like Cooper comes on him and starts pushing it, lands a couple of more shots. Holy feel 
to his credit, doesn't go down, but he does go down. Like he, you know, he grabs the ropes and if the ropes weren't there, he would have splattered anywhere else. But like, you, you know, he kind of did like a twist and everything. His body was just uncontrolled. Like he was short circuited, you know, and he got yeah, there. Like he was trying to turn around, but his legs were like, mm-mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a Richard Pryor skit where Pryor talked about getting punched on the chin really hard the first time when he boxed. And he was telling his legs, and he was like, legs, stay up, stay up. And legs like, oh, man, fuck you. <laughs> and he just goes down. <laughs> um, exactly. It's like your brain's just not communicating with the rest yeah. of your body. So, like, his upper body was, like, turning, but his legs were, like, still faced that way. And he just goes, yeah. like, yeah. into the ropes, you know? And um, Mills Lane correctly ruled it a knockdown. That was the first knockdown of Holyfield's career. And honestly, dude, that might have saved Holyfield's ass right there, bro. Because imagine if he hadn't called the knockdown and just brushes him off and they, you know, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm not saying that it would have knocked him out. I mean, wasn't, did they call knockdowns? That was like kind of irregular sometimes if they would like, right, when they fall into the ropes like that. Sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah, sometimes that shit's a crapshoot, dude. Like, technically, if the ropes hold you up, that should technically be a knockdown. I'm just saying, had Mills not called that or something, you know, Holyfield could have been in big, big, big trouble. Even bigger trouble than he already was. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but, like, the way that Cooper fought and the way he holds his gloves is really funky, really strange. Like, and not it was even... Like a weird cross thing like that. Cause it was, yeah, and not even chicken, the way that, like... Style. Yeah, not even the way that, like, you're, like, you know, supposed to. Because exactly. because the way that he'd do it is is he was putting his right glove like not even like this but across yeah, like yeah, so yeah. it's you know a lot of guys would do it like if you're right handed with your left glove like across but he the way that he's doing it is that he's looking to land his right hand with his right glove across his face and he's squared up and so it's like it's it's almost doesn't make sense like you have to throw it like a hooking or it's not gonna really work you know. But he made it work for him. And on top of that, funnily enough, was that he was making it work uh, countering Holyfield's jab because mm-hmm. Holyfield started trying to jab and move on him at first. And that's what made him stop was even in the very first round. Like, it's not like Cooper was, you know, fucking wizard in there or something, but he was he just a little really small, subtle thing. If you watch it again, Holyfield starts trying to jab on him and immediately Cooper is turned and and just like, countering like immediately over the jab and so holyfield was like oh shit you know no more jabbing i guess and you could see he gets away uh gets away from it and that's when cooper starts just pushing his way inside physically just not even doing anything fancy just pushing that's it and so it's really forcing holyfield to fight that fight and on top of that i think holyfield it's kind of like a natural tendency like he's a he's a fighter like he gets hit and he wants to retaliate He's not the kind of, you know, he's got the dog in him. He's not the kind of fighter where he gets hit and he's like, ah, you know, flee yeah. or some shit. Like, he's going to fucking fight you. And so that's pretty much what happened is that he put himself in that position to get caught that way. And he realized he obviously made a lot of uh, corrections later <laughs> in his career fucking to for a lot of the mistakes that he made in this oh, fight. Pat, call him by his real name, Evan. Evan Fields. He, he made a lot of corrections uh, as far as some of the mistakes that he made in this fight, but he squared himself up right in the middle of an exchange. And that's what I was saying was Cooper caught him and like he was looking for his right hand and just boom, like hooking right hand, just right on fucking Holyfield's chin, hurts him bad and he's bam, right into the ropes. And it's like, I think it was a big shocker 
because obviously not only is this a last minute substitution and all this sorts of shit, it's shades of uh, what is it? Tim Witherspoon, bone crusher Smith a couple of years earlier, which was a big thing. And so they're thinking, all right, well, <laughs> Holy field, these fucking punches away from losing the heavyweight championship here. And to Burt Cooper, who can't yes. put, who can't string wins together and got the call at the last minute, what the fuck kind of chaos is going on right now? Just so that people understand, you know, when you're watching this, like they're like, what? Yeah, no, this was the last case scenario that anyone ever expected. Holyfield at this point, you know, he had been through some some tough fights and he had struggled. Like, you know, most notably his first uh, title win with Demi uh, Dwight Cowie, you know, he's mentioned the Michael Dokes fight, but he had never been visibly hurt in a fight where he was like, whoa, you saw him just, you know, knock kneed and not knowing what the fuck just happened. Like clearly Bush. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this was the first time. And he was literally, like you said, he was a punch or two away from getting stopped. If he got like, you know, because Cooper was flurrying on him after that. Cooper punched himself out. That was the thing. He got so excited. He came in there and Cooper said with his own words, he started like getting, he started breathing heavy. He started feeling hot. And he was like, oh boy, like his body, he was like, this is it. This is it. This is your moment. And he went and he started, boom, 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 boom. And then at one point he gets Holyfield on the ropes. And as he squared up, so he's not even getting maximum leverage on his punches. He's just yeah, over. Yeah, he wasn't, yeah, he like... He's just trying, and Holyfield's just riding it out, riding it out. And he then, didn't go to the body. He didn't throw in combination. He was just like, yeah, you know, like trying to. Uh, it was at that point that people realized that Evander Holyfield was on like Larry Holmes type of recuperative powers, you know, because soon after Holyfield, once he rode it out and started getting his head clear, like you said, near the end of the round, he starts coming in again. Those uppercuts. Oh, dude. Uppercuts. Like just bullshit him, and you see Cooper because he has that chicken wing style that doesn't block it in fact invites uppercuts to be right to the mush and he's just eating them and you see boom and that's when it becomes a war and you know the crowd is like scared but they're also excited and you know it's just like you don't know like oh my god like yeah and again it's atlanta so it's, it's a lot of holyfield fans going like oh <laughs> you know they want to cheer because it's fucking great but they're like oh my god because Holyfield's just launching uppercuts. Dude, he landed a lot. But maybe 20, 30 seconds or so of the final minute of that third round is like, that's about as good as heavyweight boxing gets, honestly. Like, not the entire round. It's not sustained through the whole thing. But for a good couple chunks there, it's just like, yeah, it's fucking good. It's real good. Dude, it didn't get better than that. And I mean, the drama of it all, too, is what makes it, what makes it so exciting. Because if... That happening to Holyfield against a guy of the same caliber of him would make it, you know, exciting enough. The fact that it was a million to one underdog like Burt Cooper pulling that off in Holyfield's hometown. And Cooper was just, you know, only a year, a year or so, um, like two years out of just being at the absolute bottom of the barrel was huge. That's like some Rocky shit right there. Like, you know, that was the equivalent of when Balboa knocked down Apollo Creed in the first round of their first fight in the movie, you know. When he came in, boom, and then everyone starts losing their mind or whatever. Kind of the same as, like, you don't expect shit like that. And it's amazing. And then um, Holyfield, to his credit, though, he started coming back. He's, but there was still rough moments. Like, Cooper, after, even though he punched himself out, he's, at, like, now he's at his apex of, like, you know, confidence and hype and everything. And he realizes this is, like, if he's ever going to get a chance, this is it. So now they're going to war. Round four, round five, like, you know, Holyfield's clearly getting the better of it. 
But Cooper is having his moments too, and Holyfield needs to watch the fuck out because Hooper is still landing those overhand rights and other ripping shots that are making Holyfield wince and wobble. Like Holyfield's still clearly not back, not back yet. He's still fighting, but it's more so on instinct as opposed to him being fully in control of his senses. Yeah, dude, his uh, uh, Benton and the rest of his corner, you know, Duva and all these guys are in there going like, dude, you gotta, you can't be standing in there with him. You gotta move. You got a jab. Like, what are you doing? You can't fight in there with them. They're pissed. And I mean, rightly so, because he's fighting Cooper's fighter. He's fighting a fight that is allowing Cooper to potentially win or be in a position to win. And so they're telling him, you know, get on, get moving, you know, don't do this, et cetera. And you could see that he tries to at the start of round four, right after that round three, you know, he Holyfield kind of tries to. But it's like he's still got that part in him where it's like he sees that Cooper is like, all right, I can just land punches on this guy. I'm just going to punch. But there are moments in in the fight where, uh, dude, you could see Holyfield like he's putting like everything into these shots. Mm-hmm. Like he is like, I need to get this fucking guy out of here. Like, I, I don't know if it's fear, if it's him being pissed I, or maybe a combination of these things. But he starts he starts punching Cooper like. It's like the type of shit where if you've seen Evander Holyfield's career, it's about as hard as he ever, ever hits anybody. Yeah. You know, like he's just fucking like putting everything into it. And Cooper's eating that shit. And it's like all it's doing is motivating Evander to keep throwing. But then uh, every so often, like you said, Cooper's kind of like lashing out and like reminding him like, nah, you got to fucking stay on your toes, bro, because I'll hit you. But, but then the problem is that, like I was saying earlier, the things that happened in this fight led Evander Holyfield to try to make a whole bunch of corrections in his training and career because he started punching himself out like in like a couple of different rounds. He started just throwing so fucking hard that all of a sudden there's like a minute 20 left, dude. And he's like clenching because like that's that's all he's got for right now. And Dokes, or I'm sorry, uh, Cooper, if he had just had a little bit more gas in the tank or something, you know, it could have been a very different story. But you could see that, uh, like you said, like it's still kind of a war, but it's just it's sliding in Holyfield's direction. You know, that round three is what Cooper had for the most part. It's just that Holyfield got to be careful still. Definitely. But each each round, Holyfield got more and more control. And by the end of the fight, Holyfield was just starting to beat the living hell out of Cooper again. You know, but um, by the time the fight gets stopped, and rightfully so, it was around seven. Um, Holyfield you know, it was the rightful winner, but it's one of those things where you just kind of like, damn, that was much more of a struggle than anyone expected. So coming off of that fight, Cooper has all the momentum in the world now too, because he just gave the shot the hell out of the heavyweight champion of the world, almost knocked him out. Holyfield um, still had more questions than answers again. You know what I mean? Because people are saying to themselves, wait a minute. Okay. Um, you fight George Foreman. You got knocked around a little bit in that one. You go to distance with him. You win comfortably, but you don't like dominate him, dominate him. And now you almost get knocked out by Burt Cooper. Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to like overanalyze it or like you know zap root or the fucking fight or anything like that. You know, back into the left. But just fucking look at when you look at the stoppage, dude. I think it was probably adrenaline at least for a minute. But you look at the stoppage and Cooper is almost like what what even though holyfield just like brutalized the fucking guy for like a 
almost a minute straight. Like he was just throwing, like he didn't, he didn't give a fuck if there's going to be another round. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like he was just chucking and it was kind of, I'm looking at it. Like had there been some total fucking idiot in there, like a, like a Joe Cortez or some total asshole that didn't stop. <laughs> there you go. That, that doesn't stop the fight or that gives him a count or something like that, you know, and like allows it to go on. Dude, like Holyfield was thrown like he he would not have had anything left. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to play the what if game, but I'm just saying like it was it was the kind of thing where, yeah, dude, you can understand the questions. You can understand why there would be question marks, because he still seemed like an undersized guy and who struggled against a fellow undersized heavyweight, like struggled real bad, almost got knocked out. So, yeah, and that's. That's why people are still talking about this fight. As they should, man. Then you think about like the scenarios that could have played out. If Burt Cooper had won the fight, and it was a potential they could have, like, you know, any of all he had to do is land a couple of more punches and you had a jumpy referee that would have been like, fuck this, stopped it. Um, Rick Elvis Parker, we've mentioned this before on the show, and we've talked about it just in general. Rick Elvis Parker would have been in control of the heavyweight championship of the world. <laughs> I I, you know, I, I, who knows where he would have taken that? I have no idea, but that would have been one of the wildest rides. I mean, like, I'm sure we would have been still talking about that today. God it knows. Had, it definitely would have like, imploded, absolutely imploded badly. It but, would have been like the first time there was ever a heavyweight championship fight in like the Florida Panhandle or some shit. I mean, like I, even, I don't even want to make, it's hard to even make a joke like this, but to be honest, bro, I'm not even sure if they would have made it out of that. Cooper and them became champion, and the way Parker did cocaine. You know, yeah, which, the most he might have killed his own champion and he himself, yeah, and himself, dude. They want to win on the most wildest bender that probably would have made Rick James blush. Who fuck knows? All ordered by Archie Moore, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, God knows, man. But like, post, post fight of that, because like you said, afterwards, Cooper suddenly had his career rejuvenated. Um, he soon left Elvis Parker. Don King wanted a piece of him now because he saw that you know, Cooper looked viable. And Holyfield had more questions than answers, especially after that, because his next fight in 1992 is against the guy that we brought up earlier in the show that was on his weird run in 91, Larry Holmes. And Holyfield didn't look particularly good in that fight either. You know, yeah, dude, I mean, and I mean, to be totally fair, Larry, it's Larry Holmes. Even old Larry Holmes was sometimes like unpredictably good, like not good, but like, <laughs> obstructionist <laughs> like you know he'd, he'd get in the way but i mean like you know even well, holyfield, so holyfield struggled in that fight yeah. yeah um you know there's i always think back to i think it was the second round and holmes didn't leave the corner he literally stood in the corner the entire time but he beat up holyfield the entire round like he just let holyfield come in and holmes was just boom boom with his jab and then holmes would walk in and holmes would just Hit him with the uppercut, tie him up, hit him with more uppercuts. Like he was beating the shit out of him in the inside, which was supposed to be Holyfield's game. And then after the round ended, because he did this in Holyfield's corner the entire round, he when the round ended, Holmes has his arm like that, he's laughing, and he's going like, and then he looks at Lou Duva, and Duva's, <laughs> and then and then Holmes looks at him and then rubs his head like he's a little, you know, like a little kid. <laughs> and that's when Benton started snapping in the corner. He was like. Dude, he is getting in the zone. Do you do not want him to get into a fucking zone? Like, snap out of it. Like, you know, do something here. Like, do what we told you. 
this might be old Larry Holmes, but it's still Larry Holmes, bro. Like Holmes had a fuck ton of experience and he used all of it on all those fights. That's why he made you know living hell for everybody. But yeah, that's pretty what much everybody but Mike Tyson. So with Holmes with Holyfield's first reign when he finally lost the bow, I don't think the public ever fully accepted him still as like you know the successor to Tyson. He still he still had more question marks than answers. And then when he finally lost the bow, I think people were just kind of like, all right, well, you know. Yeah, and it it was the old like, you know, get respect and losing type of yeah. fucking shit where yeah a lot of people were questioning how good he he ever really was and his his story has been like rewritten or retconned a little bit over the years because it, it always happens dude it, it always happens uh it almost always happens that fighters are given more respect or given more love or looked at more favorably or whatever after the fact it almost always happens lennox lewis is a great example because it because he's recent and so a lot of people who are also like recent boxing fans can remember that on the, like the early days of like message boards and stuff like that. And even some social media, dude, people didn't fucking like Lennox Lewis, especially in the U S Lennox Lewis was like, you know, persona oh, non grata. I said earlier, dude, that's a good fucking... like him. They thought he was snobby. Just dude, Brit- like I remember British fans didn't fucking like him. And they were like, I oh, pretends to be Canadian Canadians fans were like, you could have him." U S fans were like, we don't give a fuck. We don't like him. It, I mean, that's not to say he didn't have fans, but just that it was like they were not easy to find. And nowadays people are like, oh, I was always a Lennox fan. I miss him. And I'm like, but it always works that way. You know, and in, in retrospect, that's just how it how it goes. No different with Evander Holyfield, where his career's kind of been like rewritten. But the but the fact of the matter is, up until that first fight with uh Riddick Bowe, and I mean it was really the trilogy with Riddick Bowe, what happened in the meanwhile, and kind of like you know, his heart and all that type of shit being mythologized, and then finally going on and whooped the shit out of Mike Tyson at a at a point where everybody thought Evander Holyfield was fucking done. Like, you know, they were certain that there was nothing more this dude could give. And then he went ahead and beat Mike Tyson's ass. Those the trilogy and that kind of in succession are really what helped make Evander Holyfield with all due respect. But it's, but a lot of people were not super hyped about that first portion of his career. That's just how it was. His first reign, no, his first title reign, like you said, it kind of, you know, glossed over a little bit more. So it rose colored glasses today. But if you really look at it, he fought big names, but he just didn't look that all that impressive. What is it too? But like the Cooper one, in terms of action and just everything was definitely the most memorable one. And that just in an era where you had a ton of like memorable, amazing fights, like, you know, you can go back to the beginning of it. um, And then all the way to the very end, like, and, you know, and and the way that like the generations kind of passed through the decades too, you know what I mean? Like guys like David Chu and Ike Bayabuchi who put on one of the best fights of the decade, they had already surpassed guys like Tommy Morrison and Riddick Bowe and anyone's like they, that past never even like, had a chance to crisscross you know what i mean so that was like that was just a wonderful decade that's why the 90s are looked upon so fondly today as being like a golden age for heavyweights probably in my opinion right behind the 70s so it's like you know and honestly dude like we make i make jokes about it we make jokes about it the whole performance enhancing drug shit but you know what dude being real and i know there might be some people either listening or watching who won't like it or who will be like offended by what i'm about to say i don't think it's like that bad but nonetheless there are going to be people who are like really dude that was one of the reasons why that shit was so good because of the fucking steroids you guys you're tripping have you ever seen pride fc 
That's they didn't steroid test, and it was fucking awesome. That's what Pride happened. was amazing, man. I'm not even a big like MMA dude like that, but I've watched clips of Pride fights from back in the day, and those dudes were actually banging, man. Dude, they have fucking veins had little fucking you know steroid shops that also had veins on them. It was fucking crazy. But I mean, look, dude, I, seriously, that was one of the reasons why this by the 80s and 90s. You know, they blend together in that regard as far as the performance enhancing enhancing drugs, dude. That's one of the reasons why they were so fucking good. Dude, Evander Holyfield, his back in this fight, you like you you when you're watching the fight, like Burt Cooper, that fool's built like a fucking brick one story apartment. The guy's a fucking massive, but then you look at Evander Holyfield, who was outweighed by Burt Cooper, not by a ton, by like 10 or 15 pounds, but even so, like the can't he turns his back to the camera. Dude, it looks like his back is chiseled out of like bottles of steroids and fucking like PED clinics. It's like, what the fuck, bro? Even with the with the um, like, yeah, everything, bro. His, like, he, yeah, his traps are just out of fucking control. But yeah, hairline you know, started too. What's that? Is the hairline too? It, yeah, unfortunately, that's also what tends to happen. But, but you know, like it it, it, it was a really fun fight, dude. That was an amazing fight, but you know, like uh, we talked about just now, Holyfield's career and what just happened to him post uh, the Cooper fight. Cooper still had himself a memorable career to go himself. You know oh what I mean? God, his very next fight was against a guy by the name of Cecil Coffey. Um, I can't believe scared. they both fought as long as they did. Like that's yeah. how crazy they fucking you know. No, those are two guys that transcended different eras completely. You know, what I mean, even Cooper more so because he wrote it. Well, Holyfield, both of them, but like, um. Yeah, Cecil Coffee. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. His next fight is against Dulé Cecil Coffee, a nondescript name that never would ever think of. Only the only thing you would know about this fight is that for his vicious nature, Cooper now was like in prime form of feeling himself again, right? He's coming off the Holyfield fight. Don King's promoting him. He put him on Showtime as a as a feature for this one, and um, Cooper lands one of those vicious Burt Cooper uppercuts. You know what I mean? Coffee tried to fight him on the inside, and Cecil Coffee's poor nose just splatter like a fucking strawberry on the street just you know and you just see blood pouring out like a like about as bad as you'll ever see yeah there's nothing worse to me like i find this I, I like get queasy looking at like when blood pours out like a faucet it's one thing for it to just kind of be on the face like that but when it like pours out just pouring you know that's some bad shit like your whole nose has just been scrambled it like badly I, I swear to you, like the the way that you take a nose shot, like, and I'm talking about a nose shot, yes. is like that. I feel like that determines how well you're gonna do. I didn't take one real well, dude. You did I, bro. No, like you get hit like square on the, like you know, like the fist on your nose, and you're like, ha. Ah, ah. <laughs> you know, yes. that's your natural reaction. You know, when you're able to just kind of like grit it and go fuck it and throw punches back, you'll be all right. I was not. I was like, hold on, time's out. Pause. Time out. The first time someone, I never had my nose actually broken, but someone definitely broke some cartilage or something in it because, like, I got hit with a shot during sparring and I heard something crunch. And I had been punched in the nose before that. And I obviously knew what it felt to be punched, but I never experienced the fucking pain I felt with that punch. I heard, like, a little... And... I just... Up in... From my forehead down there, like, it just, like, something, like... Of just like the sharpest pain, it felt like someone just taking a knife and just going like that over and over, like just sharp, bad. I mean, and my eyes instantly welled up. I couldn't like didn't know what the fuck. Yeah, just happened. like you can't was, see. Like you're just it was like the ah. worst sensation of pain. I just turned over. I grabbed my nose. I was like, I can't. I was like, you know, 
and for like a month, my for like a month, my nose was like in intense pain. Maybe I did break. It. I don't know because I, I assume I didn't because it didn't bleed. I don't know if you could break your nose and it doesn't bleed, but like. I mean, I guess you could fuck up the cartilage. I don't know. I, I, I see you last Boy Scout, bro. I know you can get your shit put up into your brain. <laughs> it was bad. It was just, it really, really hurt. You know what the most fucked up thing about it was that it was just a simple jab. It wasn't even like something he was trying to hit. It just, I walked into it perfectly. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't something that he put a lot of oomph in. It just happened to hit me on the tip and it just like, so I felt that pain. You just talked about how you felt. Imagine how Cecil Coffee felt with Burt Cooper throwing an uppercut nuke straight in there. And fight snap. over. It's yeah. done. <laughs> oh. So his very next fight, again, now he just put on a memorable fight when, uh, with Evander Holyfield. He was now about to put on an even more memorable fight with Michael Moore, who just freshly arrived in the division. It's just, just a shootout, dude. Fucking crazy shootout. Yeah, dude, Moore looked like Moore looked fairly bewildered there in the first round, man. Like he he kind of had this look about him for a minute there. Like he was like, "What the fuck did I just get myself into? What the fuck is this?" Because he tried to bully uh, Cooper. You know what I mean? He tried to do the whole um, go in there and trying to Mike Tyson. I mean, it looked like he had success at first, but then Cooper—that's what he relishes—a good war. And as we came to find out later on in his career, Moore didn't take the best punch. So. And Moore was kind of giving him the looks too. Like he was like punching him and like nodding at him and shit like that. And Cooper was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, you know, Cooper goes down in the first, Moore goes down in the first. Moore goes down again in the third. Cooper gets finished in the fifth. But like, what a fucking war. And it's already forgotten today that that was for the WBO title because no one considered the WBO anything back then. But yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's a talk talking about retconning and looking at shit with rose colored glasses. Yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, there's all sorts of like heavyweight title fights. And what about the? I know this is kind of off subject, but the WBC retconning with fucking Jeff Jeff Fennick and oh my god, dude, so stupid. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm not even gonna go on a tangent so about weird. it. It's not even worth the time and so effort. Weird. It's such disrespect too to a guy like Azuma Nelson who so weird. You can't, you know, regardless of how he, like, you can't, it's not his fault what the, what the decision was rendered. And he clearly, in the rematch, he beat the shit out of Fennec, knocked him out, made all, you yeah, know, Yeah, he righted the wrong. Like, he, yeah, he took care of it himself. Yeah, so, whatever. whatever. Anyway, yeah, but no, just the, the idea of the WBO all of a sudden kind of, like, being recognized when then it, like, really wasn't. No, I mean, I mean it's hard that was to explain because if you look at it back then, Moore won the WBO title before he beat Holyfield for the actual title. So considering he won, he ended up winning the IBF title again later on after that. Should he be considered a three-time heavyweight champion? Like, <laughs> that's where it's, yeah, that's where it starts getting stupid, dude. You know, that's where it's like, well, no, because the WBO wasn't considered then. But now you consider Klitschko W. Like, what you know, where where does it go here? Yeah, like where you know, let's just whatever it's that's why it's dumb to recognize them like that it's just stupid but point being more that you know burt cooper for for all intents and purposes as like a you know upper level fighter for the most part he was done he was a yeah 80s and early 90s dude and after that he was pretty much cannon fodder but like he had one memorable moment What's that? He did have one more memorable moment in his career. I mean, he would fight, he fought a lot of recognizable names like Chris Bird, Jeremy Williams, and Larry Donald. Um, but he had did have one more memorable one. I know which one you um, I know you know what I'm talking about. When he fought a guy from upstate New York by the name of Richie Molito. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm not even talking about once. Like he fought in Winston Salem, Atlanta, oh, Miami. He fought Luis Ortiz. I'm just looking at this right now. <laughs> I mean, Miami, Jefferson City. He fought in actual cities with states yeah. that have commissions that somehow allowed this guy to fight. I mean, like, <sighs> yowza. You, you know, man, like, Cooper was just one of those guys that I fondly remembered from when I was younger and always I wanted to have the chance to meet him and that I did have the chance to meet him. Um, Lou got inducted into the um, New York State one of the ring whatever hall of fames or some shit along like over a decade ago right i'm gonna talk like 2014 i want to say 2014 2015 around then so he got inducted to that and lou invited me um to to go you know see it so i was like yeah i'll definitely go support you and i went and there was there was a lot of um dignitaries and like boxing people from the the new york area in the surrounding, like you know philly washington whatever area right yeah you got um, you got fucking joe frazier you got Ray Poplovsky. <laughs> Ray Pop, yes. <laughs> Man, oh, I'm geez. sorry. I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, Ray Pop has had his own career too for many years. Wasn't he really like that that photo that surfaced of him ringside of <laughs> <laughs> ringside of MSG in the early nineties wearing the Bill Cosby. Oh sweater. yeah, that career. Yeah. <laughs> um, um so I'm trying to think of some of the people that were there. There was, you know, people, um, Danny Jacobs, I think, was there for making a speech. Um, there was a historian that was getting an award, Sal Rappa. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, Pat. It seems, it, that sounds really familiar, yeah. And some others. But um, Burt Cooper happened to be there. I don't know if he, I don't, he, wasn't, he wasn't getting an award or nothing, but he, he was there. And I was so excited. Like, I remember jumping out of the seat. I was like, oh, my God, it's Burt Cooper. And I ran up to him and I was like, like a little kid. I was like, man, fucking Burt Cooper smoking Burt. And he was the nicest, most gracious dude. You know, we took a cool photo together. And dude, his knuckles, man, like they were just gnarled out. Like you just see it. That was just years, both of his hands, just years of just using them to knock the flesh off of other people's face. Like, you know what I mean? It's just incredible. So I was glad I had a chance to meet him. You know what I mean? Because he didn't have a good uh, end to his life with cancer and all that shit, but. Yeah, he unfortunately passed away of pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago, which is a rough, uh, you know, it's a pretty rough cancer. And also, I mean, I guess somewhat, I don't want to say ironic because it's not like funny or anything, but it's just that that he would get pancreatic cancer after years and years of like abusing his fucking body with alcohol, cocaine and boxing and, you know, to go out that way. But at the very least, it sounds like for the most part, he was he was recognized. Um, you know, I, I wish that he would have gone out like royalty, like every fighter. But at the very least, you know, he, he had these memorable moments, the Moore fight and obviously the Holyfield fight, dude. Holyfield fight was a great, great fight. And the history behind it, important, ties into so much shit. It does, man. And that's why we wanted to cover it, because like. Everyone remembers the fight, and you know it gets put up on YouTube for the on uh, YouTube um on Twitter usually like highlights of it for the anniversary. But it's so fascinating how that all came together and the and the key components and the players, and then what ended up happening with their careers afterwards. You know what I mean? Like the fight that everyone wanted, Holyfield Tyson. Everyone assumed okay, it's never going to happen because of um Tyson injury. Well, first it got rescheduled, and then Tyson went to jail, and after that, no one was really sure what the fuck was going to happen. You know. 
And then by the time Tyson gets released from jail, Holyfield, his career is in question because um, he had that heart ailment or whatever he claimed it was. Um, it was a heart ailment, right? Against the Moore, against Michael Moore. I think so, yeah. And then he got healed by Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, fucking faith healer of all people. Yeah, at so, least at least he didn't let himself get like bitten by a fucking rattlesnake or some shit. <laughs> so you have that, and then you had also Holyfield. Um, we made the comeback because they were like, okay, he's able to come back. But then people were still like really concerned about him, you know. And then he had his fight with uh, the third fight with Riddick Bow, where it was so odd. It was an amazing fight, and maybe. I don't know. Some people consider it even better than the first one. I I don't, but like it was, it was a really good back and forth fight. Kind of underrated today, I think. And you watch it and you see like Holyfield go through the motions of at one point he's dominating Bo because Bo is already washed at this point too. And Holyfield starts beating him up and then like he slows down and then he starts beating him up again. And then he suddenly slows down and you're like, what the hell is happening? You had George Foreman going crazy ringside thinking Holyfield's going to die. His heart. Yeah. Yeah. He's tripping out. Yeah. He was like, this, this man's going to end up in a pocket. Like, just going crazy. And then finally, Holyfield, you know, after hurting Bo, he goes after again and then loses. Like, he just wobbles and gets dropped and everything. And then you find out afterwards, oh, he actually had hepatitis. He had no business being in the fucking ring. The fact that he went through that, he could have actually died doing that. Like, you know, that's why his levels and energies and everything was so often wonky. And um, so, yeah. Holyfield was uh, definitely in a questionable position when Tyson first came back, you know, beating up on the likes of Frank Bruno and McNeely and all those guys. But by the time, you know, it finally came together, that's that was the fight that everyone was like, oh, well, you know, way past its expiration date, Tyson's just going to murder him a round or two. Even Ring Magazine pre- uh, predicted that when they when they previewed the yeah, fight. Everybody was so bought into the scrubs that Tyson had been in with before that, you know? And, dude, like... I never talk about it because no one will ever believe me, but you and I have talked about it, and I told you, like, I predicted Holyfield to win that first fight. That remains to me, as a kid, I predicted that. I was 12 years old. That remains the best pick I've ever made in my life. And as a young boxing fan, I just made simple some, I made simple thought processes of why I thought Holyfield had a chance to win. Like, I was like, like you said. Hurricane McNeely. Yes. Buster Mathis Jr., a scared shitless Frank Bruno, and a scared shitless um, Bruce Selden. Yeah, Selden, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what a, a what a four horseman that is, right? And so I saw that, and I noticed, and, I know, and again, I'm still young as a fan, but I'm very in tune to what's going on now. I noticed Tyson wasn't looking good in these fights either. Like, he was looking really wild. You know, McNeely lasted so quickly that you couldn't see anything. Buster Mathis made him look like shit for a round and a half before he got caught. Um, Frank Bruno didn't do anything that was going to make Tyson deter from how he was fighting, and neither did Selden. Like, Tyson was looking wild in these fights. And I just said to myself, I was like, you know what? Holyfield may be washed, but I was like, if he can last three rounds, that's all he has to do. If he can get out of those first three or four rounds, he, he's probably going to beat him. And exactly what happened started happening. You know, Holyfield lasted through those rounds, and people were just like, oh, no, because every time he got touched and he would wobble a little bit or he fall out balance, everyone, oh, Tyson's going to get him. This is it. This is it. And then slowly Holyfield's there. Boom, starts using that jab, working him. And then when they got in the clinch, he's pushing Tyson back and using him and, you know, obviously using his head and other things, but he's roughing him up, roughing him up, roughing him up. And then you're watching this and you're like, the fuck is actually happening here? And then when Holyfield finally dropped him in round six the first time with a body, like a shot to the shoulder or whatever, that's when you knew the, the end was near. And then Holyfield just proceeded to beat the shit out of him. But it was like, 
you know, it was just crazy to think because at one point, less than a year before that, everyone thought Holyfield was just done. His career was over and he's washed and whatever. And now he ends up beating Tyson in a huge upset. Like, it's, it's crazy. And a lot of people thought that he beat Nikolai Valuev. Yes. Yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I I did not. I I mean, I also didn't really, like, score it closely either. Like I, just, I didn't even, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure if I it watched it. I don't think I would ever go back to watch it. <laughs> Dude, Valuev was really, he was not an easy fighter to watch. And it was, a lot of his fights were the same shit. Him lurching forward and, like, just everybody being like holy fuck this guy's like seven foot nine and like just clenching him like it was you know was remember not... when he fought monty barrett yes i do on hbo dude, dude you remember when he fought fucking david hay and hay hit him like five times and then just fucking sprinted for fucking like 10 rounds <laughs> he like wobbled him he just like he wound up like the biggest shot he's ever thrown in his life and was like and fucking and valio was like whoa holy shit and then hey was just like i'm out of here dude i'm done that's it there's and there's also a photo um in a ring magazine from the 90s way before value was even thought of anything approaching a contender anything like that he was still an anomaly but it was him and costa zoo together a young costa zoo because zoo still had the rat tail and he was like super skinny and zoo is standing on a lamppost like kind of high and that's how we and like and value up has his arm around him like he's like a fucking like it's like his child he's cradling like, <laughs> he is a, he is a large human being yeah. he's, he's a very large human being that's for uh, sure yeah so you know both cooper and obviously holyfield had memorable uh careers to go after that but um yeah it, it's it's just a whole it's just a whole interesting thing you know what i mean all the key players involved the reason why things happen in that in a fight that you know got salvaged in only a week and um only it took a week to make it ended up being one of the most memorable fights of the decade yeah man 31 years later 31 kids later for holyfield <laughs> so who has more kids though man him and nick cannon i mean nick Tannen, cannon's got time so i mean he might he's gonna catch up i think up. he's still working right yeah yeah he's gonna John catch Kemp up is another one that's Dude, been didn't he time. didn't he make like fucking like an announcement that he's got a kid like three days apart like he's got a kid then like three days later he's like oh yeah i also got another kid coming yeah, whatever bro i mean but all right no, it was uh due to this is the kind of thing where sometimes I'm like, thanks for doing your homework, but this is easy homework to do because this is like funny, it's fun, you know, it's classic fight. We weren't having to watch a bunch of bullshit or something like that to exactly. to get a grasp of it. Um and yeah, dude, and and fucking war. Fucking war, dude. It was a really fun fight. And uh thanks for doing the shit with me, bro. Totally, man. I always have a blast doing these, so I hope everyone oh, yeah. enjoys listening because um we enjoy doing it. <laughs> And it's, it's that time of year too. And it's not only is it the time of year where the kind of boxing slows down, it's the holiday season for a lot of people, especially in the U S but it's also that time of year where people start going, Oh shit, it's slow. What's mm -hmm. happening to boxing? Where is it going? They start doing the think pieces about, is it dying? That type of shit. So it's always fun, but no, and it's fun to fucking remember that type of shit. You got to go back in time and do some history stuff when that's happening. So with yeah. no, big fights happening right this moment it's cool to go back but anyway uh if you did listen in to this show thank you so much and if you subscribe on those podcast things thank you if you don't go subscribe leave a comment thank you and as far as the people who watch the show on youtube thank you as well subscribe if you don't already leave a comment and we'll try to answer 
as far as social media goes, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on social media like Instagram and Facebook. Instagram seems to be the the place to be these days, but we're also on Twitter and individually we're on Twitter. My boy Eris is on there as Punch Zone Eris. Me, Patrick Connor, I'm there as Patrick M. Connor. So say hi. I'll try not to be mean. I can't promise anything, but you know, some people just deserve it. Anyway, Eris, I'll talk to you soon, bro. Have a good one. <laughs> Later, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.